When I'm having a good hair day, that's when I'm my best self. I feel good. I look great. And I will say, painting sulfate-free rose water collection is a part of that. The rose water collection. It feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. Hey everyone, I'm Stephen Hyden. And I'm Jordan Runtog. Join us as we unveil our new music podcast, Rivals. It's a look back at famous music rivalries of the past. Every week, Jordan and I will explore a new rivalry, delving into all the dirty details about our beloved musical icons who just can't seem to get along with their fellow legends. And then we'll debate each other about who deserves to have the upper hand in these classic conflicts. You'll remember the biggest beast from music history and hopefully become aware of some you didn't know. Join us on Rivals, a new podcast from iHeartRadio debuting on February 26th. Listen and follow on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Hey, this is Annie, and you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Today, we're joined by a guest co-host that I'm very excited about, Beth Newell. She is the co-host of the podcast, We Knows Parenting. She's also the creator, co-founder, and editor of Reductress, which Wired calls the most brutally truthful comedy site out there. Thank you so much for joining us, Beth. Thanks for having me. Could you tell the good listeners out there about yourself and about your podcast? Sure. I am trained as a sketch and improv comedian. In 2013, I launched the website Reductress, which is a satirical news or uh, sorry, a satirical women's magazine website. Sorry, I haven't had to explain that in a while. (laughs) Um, I have a podcast with my husband called We Knows Parenting. It's just two comedian parents kind of riffing on parenting with no good expert advice. (laughs) Excellent. And you pitched an episode on women in comedy, and you have over a decade of experience in the New York comedy scene, yeah? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I started out doing improv and then slowly moved over to sketch and then reductress. I, um, (laughs) I've done some improv, but I am more into the acting side of things, and I actually was so afraid of doing comedy that for my final, I mean, this was like a, I'm talking about it as if I did it in college. This was just like a (laughs) class I took outside of work. It was sort of structured like a class would be. And for my final, like I had done, I had finished the course. It was the last class. My professor gave me two things he knew terrified me. Comedy and an accent. (laughs) (laughs) I like to think I did okay. Yeah, I was also terrified when I started doing improv. I was not a performer prior to that. So I just the act of like saying words in front of people was terrifying. And I would I would show up to all my classes like shaking. Yeah. Oh, I would too. I remember I would get to class early because it was kind of a, a hike from where I worked. So the traffic was really bad. And the only way to get around that was to leave 
really, really early and then just wait outside the class. So I had like this 30-minute period where I'd be waiting for class to start. I'm getting more and more nervous. (laughs) That's exactly what would happen to me because I came in from Brooklyn and I didn't want to be late. So I would be like a half hour early and then I'd like get a cup of coffee that made me even more anxious. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And yet here we are. Here we are talking on podcasts. (laughs) Yeah. It's actually interesting to me how many podcasters I know that are nervous about performing and speaking in front of people, and that is their career. Yeah, there's something nice about being, like, behind the screen or, you know, not... Whenever I see myself on video, I panic. Right. And I do think there is something about sort of playing a character that's not really what we're doing, but you, you, you exaggerate parts of your personality... Um, and I find something about that comforting. Mm-hmm. But today we're going to focus on on women in comedy, and I thought that you would be a perfect person to to speak to this because, as I said, I really don't have any experience <laughs> apart from, like, this one improv class and then that, that final where I remember the monologue. It was about a 34-year-old Brooklyn woman who hadn't lost her virginity. <laughs> anyway, um, so if we take a look at the state of the union for women in comedy, historically women have been kept out of the comedy sphere. It was seen as improper or unladylike. And people who booked comedians who were and are mostly men followed the rules of the club, like um, only one woman in a set, never two women back-to-back, separating female comedians for an all or mostly female audience And this kept women from getting in front of the producers, who, again, were mostly men, that could help them take that next step in their career. And the timeline of the female comedian in many ways mirrors the timelines of feminism. The first surge of female comedians took place in the 70s and 80s as more women were entering the workforce. And yet, (laughs) when people ask Tina Fey, for example... um, isn't this an amazing time for women in comedy? She replied, it's a terrible time. The boys are still getting more money for garbage while the ladies are hustling and doing amazing work for less. Um, Have you experienced any sexism in your time as a comedian? I mean, yes, but it's so hard to illustrate it to people who haven't experienced it, I think, because it's these days, I think it's often so subtle. It's not like someone, you know, calling you abroad or something. It's, <laughs> right. it's like you're just like your ideas are overlooked. And that's part of the re- the inspiration for Reductress is that when Sarah and I started doing uh, sketch comedy at, at a theater, it was we were often one of the only women in the room or one of two women in the room. And I started doing these workshops to get more women involved in the program. And in doing so, I realized that the women in the room were laughing at each other's jokes so much more than I ever would have experienced in other rooms because men don't always get the reference points. And when they don't, they just assume you're not funny instead of assuming that they don't understand something. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Yeah, I read a lot of um, accounts of female comedians being turned down because there already was a female comedian in the lineup or the MC, if there were women in the lineup, playing up that and being like, oh, lady, get ready. She's about to perform. And I, I've i never watched The Marvelous Miss Maisel, uh, but I do know that that happens in the commercial. 
And I think it's funny because even as we're starting to do better with diversity, and I mean, by better, I mean like a little bit better, I think people's attempts to do that are often sort of for them to get like points instead of what the actual purposes of diversity would be, which is to like increase the like different kinds of voices you have in the room. So again, when you're one, like the only black person in the room or the only woman in the room, or even when you have like two or three women in the room, it's still, you're still often expected not to really speak to the things you care about and to sort of go with the flow of the people in charge because we still rarely have women in charge in those situations. Um, we have, you know, some women on camera, but it's rare with movies and TV that we have women head writers and women directors and the people who actually control what's happening. Yeah. And if we look at some numbers, um, men are 2.6 times more likely to play the funny one when compared <laughs> to women. Amy Schumer is the only female comedian to rank in Forbes magazine and the first to headline a show at Madison Square Garden. And there seems to be this belief um, that women do women's comedy and therefore is niche, kind of like what you were talking about just a second ago. It's so funny because I've brought up reductress to people who ask what I do for a living or, you know, why there's a group of women congregating somewhere. <laughs> uh, men will be very curious when women are congregating. And when I explain what reductress is, I've literally had men tell me, oh, that's niche. Oh, and, man. <laughs> and it's so funny because we're more than 50% of the population and men have no problem doing like Batman everything. Like that's not necessarily like everyone's interest. You know what I mean? But they have no problem channeling their own niche interests into media, you know? like Right. They'll have, like, uh, Game of Thrones after sh the show shows. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, mm -hmm. like, such specific stuff that they're allowed to do. And we still haven't been allowed to tell, I think, some of the most basic stories of our existence. Yeah, and I think a lot of us have heard the whole stereotype that women aren't funny. There have been studies about this. Of course there have. And the short <laughs> version is... Men are more willing to take risk and more confident in their funniness, whether they are or not, but they aren't funnier. Um, men are also likelier to include humor when prompted to write freeform. One study conducted in 2012 where a group of undergrads were tasked with captioning a cartoon, men on average rated themselves at like 2.3 on a scale of funniness, um, one being the least funny and five being the most funny. And women gave themselves a 1.5. 94% of the male participants believed men in general were funnier. 94% and 89% of women agreed. I think there's so many reasons why women are less likely to pursue comedy in, the, in those small ways you mentioned. Like, obviously, imposter syndrome plays a big part in it. But also, I think, you know, like, comedy is sort of, it can be a weapon of truth. Like, something's only funny if it's true. And when women point out the truths of our reality, we're punished for it again and again, whether it's, uh, you know, losing out on job opportunities or like just being scoffed at on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's hard. It's much harder to take that leap if you're a woman. Yeah, that's a great point. And I wonder how much, if I, if I think about why I was afraid to do comedy 
it was because I thought people wouldn't think I was funny. And I wonder how much of that is, what, what's that called when you're like worried you're going to prove a stereotype to be true? <laughs> um, and that hamstrung me yeah. like, because I thought that I was less funny. I've definitely had that fear, but I will also say it's it can sometimes be scarier when you are funny because people, men don't like it. You know what I mean? Like they, right. I remember being in class in high school and I was in a psychology class where, you know, we would talk about human nature a lot. And there was a, a guy in my class who was able to make all of these like body jokes and the teacher who was male would let him get away with it and sort of like laugh it off. But then if I did something like that, he would sort of just like, look away. Like he would just try to avoid the fact that I was making a joke because I think it made him so uncomfortable that a girl might have those same like thoughts and reactions. And I I had the same experience when I was dating in college where like I went on a date with someone from my improv class and he would try to make me laugh and then I would make a joke and he would kind of look at me like perplexed like he would laugh Mm -hmm. and then be confused as to the fact that he was laughing at a woman (laughs) (laughs) what just happened does not compute (laughs) yeah like he was like that's my job here (laughs) Mm -hmm. and at the same time one of the I don't know if trend is the right word but you might see a lot lately funny is the new hot and this is not a good way to look at things. It means that we're still valuing women on their attractiveness. And female comedians have been told time and time again from the beginning up until now that they have to, the audience has to think they have a chance with you. I read that in so many places that that was advice coaches were giving women. Um, They're going to be thinking about having sex with you. Uh, And if you don't want people to be thinking about that, then dress all man-like, which is <laughs> terrible advice. <laughs> yeah. It's real, though, like, the double standard for women who appear on camera is so incredibly high. And then there's also a double standard for when you work off camera where you still are expected to look pretty presentable. It's just, I mean, it's unavoidable. <laughs> mm hmm <laughs> And comedy isn't really sexy. It's sad and gross and messy and angry and a lot of other things that aren't sexy. And that's okay. Things don't have to be sexy. Um, And I know someone out there, probably a lot of people out there are thinking, but people are attracted to humor. (laughs) Yeah, they kind of are. Some science does suggest that women are more attracted to funny men, while men are more attracted to women who think they are funny doesn't really surprise me. (laughs) That's definitely true, but I also know a lot of men who appreciate funny women, so I do think it's a little bit of a nurture versus nature thing. Like, Mm -hmm. it's the same way that we find that men are very willing to sleep with women who are heavier, or like, in general, like, they're not not attracted to them. They're just less willing to walk out in public dating someone who's heavier. You know what I mean? So the things that men at their core feel versus what they will admit to publicly are two different things. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Also, I always think in um, surveys and studies like this that you always have to take into account that people know that their responses are, it's for a survey, it's for a study, I think impacts their responses. Yeah. 
I just, I know with my friends in particular, like for bigger women, it's like, not to keep harping on this one point, but they have a very easy time finding men who are attracted to them and want to sleep with them. It's just when it comes to long-term relationships and things where you are, you know, meeting each other's friends and family that men freak out and don't want to commit. And I think it's like, especially an issue with bigger women. Mm, That's uh, worth returning to an episode for (laughs) sure. (laughs) Um, There have been other studies that show that this whole thing of women aren't funny leads to a stereotype threat and women are actually more likely to tell jokes when in all female groups. Yeah, that's so true. And that's something that, again, I feel like does, because we have so few women in working in the entertainment industry in various capacities, we don't see that represented on TV very often. You know, we have like Broad City and uh, a handful of other things, but we don't have a lot of female ensembles. And it makes me really sad because I, in my experience with my female friends, they're so funny hanging out with each other. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's just so much funnier than other conversations you're having day to day. And I just would love to see more of that on screen. Yeah, I would too. Um, another part of this conversation unfortunately, is sexual harassment. Um, it's based a problem faced by a lot of women in comedy, and we've seen this in the news. There are no HR departments, really, <laughs> in comedy. So women have taken to private Facebook groups or other similar things to share stories and experiences, people to avoid, things like that. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think... Like I said, having only one or two women in the room really impedes a lot of things. And I've noticed in the New York comedy community, as there's been a better balance towards women in certain rooms, that I think it's easier for women to talk to each other and share stories of these experiences. Yeah, and I know that I think increased social awareness, just because it is kind of an onslaught all the time of... um, sexual harassment, um, I think that people are more willing to talk about it in the open right now. And um, I remember reading when I was doing the research for this episode uh, that a woman was describing how she was in an improv, I guess, a show with um, someone she respected who was a, a teacher and um, they started the skit, and it was like the boss, he was playing the boss, and she was playing the secretary, and he pushed her against the imaginary copy machine, which was a table, and started, like, kissing her and groping her, and she didn't want, she didn't know what to do, but she didn't want to appear like she wasn't going to play along um, with this guy that she respected, and that that experience stuck with her for so long. Yeah, that stuff's really hard. I know I, I started doing improv when I was 19 years old. So there was definitely some experiences like that where I, as a young person, didn't know what what was normal. You know what I mean? I didn't have a lot of frame of reference for like being a working person in the world and what was appropriate. And um, yeah, you just... I 
because these men in particular, I found in, in our comedy community, they tend to prey on younger women, um, whether it's because they find them more attractive or they realize they're better victims. I don't know, but they seem to be very good at finding women who are better prey, I guess. And that people that, that are younger and newer to the community and easier to single out. And yeah, it's just very scary when that's happening to you. Uh, at any age, but I think especially at a young age, because you just have not been given a lot of coping mechanisms. Yeah. And if you're starting out in your career, um, I think it's just difficult if it's someone, I mean, it's always difficult, but if it's someone that you respect and you feel like maybe you need this person to, to further your career, and you, yeah, you don't have the world experience and coping mechanisms. Um, can be really, really hard <laughs> to yeah. know what to do. And I, I feel like until very recently, I feel like most people just didn't have the language to describe these issues. You know, so when things like this were happening to me in like 2006, for example, I don't. Not only did I not necessarily realize the extremes of things that might have been happening to me, but if I had reached out to the people around me, like they just wouldn't have been a great support system for that. And in many ways, the community still isn't always a great support system for women experiencing these things. Yeah, how how many how so? Like what's an example? Well, I mean, it's hard because, you know, as you know, uh comedy doesn't have an HR department and in general, from what I've heard, you know, HR departments serve the companies anyway. So there's few people to really report to. And then if you do tell people, I think, you know, it's sort of like a trial by, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Sorry. It's like a trial by your peers, like sort of a he said, she said, and it just, um, it becomes very difficult. The men in these scenarios almost always have more power and influence um, and I think that's why they know they can get away with what they're doing. But, um, you know, it's like you don't necessarily want to go to a theater to complain about a man who performs there or works there or runs or owns the theater because there's just so small a chance that that's going to work out in your favor. Right. Yeah. And we were talking about on a, an episode recently about how, and this is kind of a tangent, but comedy is very much, at least most of the time, your, the person is that person, if that makes sense. So, like, that is coming from a place of truth. And then if that person turns out to be a sexual harasser and there's somebody that you really... Um, identified with how it can be so personally painful for you. Um, it's just a really interesting, I, I don't know how to describe it, but uh, the betrayal you feel. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, it's like you don't want to believe these things when they happen, like none of us do. And I think especially if it's you know, one of your heroes that supposedly committed a certain crime, you really, really don't want to believe it. And if you're a man and you don't have a frame of reference for experiencing something like that done to you, I think you especially don't want to believe it because you don't, 
want to believe that these things happen to women. So it's just, it's very difficult. I mean, I feel like so many situations where I've seen this happen, people close to it are, they're just, it's, it's a lot to reconcile. And I think that's what a lot of people are doing right now in every industry is sort of like learning how to come to terms with how do we deal with these things and how do we find sort of like a punishment to fit every crime. And, you know, it's complicated. It is very complicated. But there are some things that are improving, some positive <laughs> things that are happening. And we're going to get into that after a quick break forward from our sponsor. Okay. So a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair. I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something a little weird, something I don't want it to do, (laughs) then I, I can't stop thinking about it the rest of the day. Oh my God, we've all been there. Pantene's rose water collection feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. Your hair doesn't look really great. Thank you. I actually worked in a place for a while that was very sensitive environmentally, and we weren't allowed to use shampoos that had sulfate in them, so that's something that I look for these days. And bonus, I love the way that my hair looks now. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. Okay, the new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman have never been more hilarious as America's favorite moms turned gangsters, Beth, Ruby, and Annie. Already this season, there have been some big twists and breathtaking surprises. The fans love it, and the critics do, too. Variety calls good girls addictive and audacious. Entertainment Weekly says it's just what you need, and Rotten Tomatoes certifies good girls 100% fresh. So, if you've missed any of the new season, get yourself online and stream it now. And Sundays on NBC, watch it live. There's sure to be big twists and huge surprises. So you'll want to enjoy your Good Girls experience in a spoiler-free zone. The all-new, all-hilarious season of Good Girls, Sundays on NBC and stream anytime. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So yeah, things are improving for female comedians, um, and therefore, I would argue, for all of us. Comedy is diversifying very, very slowly, but it is. Uh, Lena Waithe became the first black woman to win an Emmy for comedy writing last year. Last year. Uh, Issa Rae became the first black woman to create and star in a premium cable show. And I was wondering, Beth, if you have you seen any positive changes in your time working as a comedian or being a part of the comedy scene? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's definitely a lot of diversity initiatives happening right now. And um, there's just, I think, so many more performers out there, you know, even attempting these things. I don't, I've seen the New York comedy scene grow. It feels to me more diverse. It might just be, you know, I, I'm more aware of the stand up scene than I used to be. But um, the New York comedy scene has also had sort of an explosion of, a queer comedy community. So it's really great 
to see people be able to put up shows that are not just one woman or two women, but like a, a show that's all women or a show that's all queer people or, you know, black people. And it's just, it's like what we were saying earlier, it's just easier to laugh at certain things and have those kinds of conversations when you're with like-minded people who've had similar experiences. So it's very exciting to see people not just get to be a part of it, but to really um, have their own vision that they're putting out there for what their experience has been and uh, what they think is funny about their experience. It's exciting and it's refreshing just to see, to hear these new new stories because um, I feel like we've been telling kind of the same same things for a while and not just in comedy but in general um, entertainment and I love that it's finally <laughs> diversifying a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say, I think it's diversifying on the ground. I think it's still very hard for people of color or women to get paid for comedy or to make it to the TV and, or movie stage. Like, basically, the people who hold all the money and power are still, for the most part, white men. And that's like, it's really hard to get your ideas across to them. What is the, in your experience, like, how? I guess I, I'm just, I'm new to the whole, <laughs> I've never been working in comedy before. How does payment work on the ground level? Are you getting paid by, like, the club? Um, the most common thing that I've seen is, you know, people putting up their own shows, and then the, the club might give them a cut of that, and then they might pay their performers. Um, sometimes the club does pay performers directly, I think the average like stand-up comedian is probably not getting paid for their show at all. And if anything, I would say they're maybe getting like 50 bucks or something. It's not a way to make a living unless you have really made a big name for yourself and you're touring or you're getting a TV show or something. Uh, yeah, that's been my experience in acting as well. I wonder how many jobs are like that, that we just don't know about where a lot of people are doing work without getting paid um, for, like in the case of acting, it's for exposure. Maybe you'll get <laughs> some footage <laughs> for a reel or something like that. Yeah. But. Well, and I think to some extent that's like a necessary part of the industry because if you, you know, have taken a few improv classes and you're getting up on stage doing improv, like number one, the theater's not making that much money off your show. And number two, your show at that stage in your career might not be that great, to be honest. So you do really need to like charge people a low rate to see your early work of comedy. Mm -hmm. That's something I think people have to understand is like in other fields, by the time you're working, you've probably done four years of college to become somewhat of an expert in that field. And in comedy, you're kind of learning on the fly. So I think you do have to expect to put in a few years of your time before you're like really generating any kind of income from it. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. You got to sharpen your skills, hone your <laughs> skills a little bit. It's tough out there. It's, it's hard for everybody. And I think even the people you see on TV or writer's rooms or whatever, I like, I think for the most part, those people are probably making a lot less money than you realize because they might get an okay rate for, you know, eight weeks of a writer's room, but then the show goes on break 
and they're they have to hustle to find more un- income for the rest of the year. You know what I mean? It's it's just it's really hard at a lot of different stages. It's always been interesting to me that kind of this disconnect with comedy and comedians you would think are um I guess generally I don't know if happy is the word, but like <laughs> like to laugh. But then you hear about all of the work and the the years of not getting paid and toiling away at the bad hotel rooms, and it's just kind of a disconnect. Yeah, no, it's rough. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, and and it's particularly for standups. I think I mean some people are more built for it than others, but just hanging out in like dark, dingy clubs all the time is not great for your mental health. Hmm, surprising. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I wonder, there actually isn't that much data specifically looking at women in comedy. Because I was trying to get to the bottom of, uh, like, pay and how much compared to male comedians or women getting paid. Um, But I am curious if anyone out there has, has some data that I did not find. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's lower as is every industry. Um, and mostly just because you're not getting the same opportunities. Um, for example, with writer's rooms, you tend to get paid on like your level of experience, which usually is how many writer's rooms you've been in before. And so, like we were saying, people there's just less women in writer's rooms, so it's more likely that you're on the more inexperienced side, especially if you're a person of color. There's just like even less rooms that are uh, staffing up with many people of color, so. That's true. And we <laughs> we went into the break saying that this was going to be the positives and it's gone <laughs> back to the negatives. But would you say, are there things, benefits for you personally that you've gotten from doing comedy? Yeah, I mean... Like, as we were saying, speaking to improv before and how scary it is, I will say that doing something that feels that terrifying really makes a lot of other things in your life seem less terrifying. So if you can make up words on the fly in front of a crowd of people, it makes other public speaking where you don't have to make it up on the fly seem a little bit easier. And um, improv in general has a really great yes and philosophy and a lot of tools for being on stage with people that require a level of give and take that I think is just a really useful tool to have as a human in terms of how to interact with other people and how to be considerate of, you know, their needs and space and how to make sure you're, you know, speaking up for yourself and not just like standing on the back line. I mean, the reason I do comedy and I think the reason a lot of people do comedy is just because we can't not do it. So it's sort of like as hard as it is, if if I were to quit comedy, my mental health would go down the tubes immediately because this is sort of like what keeps me going. Like this is what I get excited about. Yeah, it, it is a very rewarding experience and the little experience that I do have, um, I remember specifically one we had to do a show an improv show <laughs> and i was so nervous and there are only four of us so you really had to pull your weight and i came up with a kind of a way to close a scene that was going on for a long time 
and people really dug it. And <laughs> clearly it stuck with me because I still think about it. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's another great thing you learn in improv is editing your scenes. And I think editing is like a sort of underappreciated life tool. There's so many times when, you know, people are communicating information and they're I think a lot of us just have a tendency to be so long-winded and it's sort of like learning to get to the point and stay on topic and all those things. I think that it's really great. Absolutely. And that could be one of the reasons why uh, many offices and ours is included <laughs> bringing in uh, people to do kind of a, we did a six-hour improv day because that's supposed to improve your your skills, skills that are useful at work as well. That's great. Yeah, it was really fun. Um, and I, I think it also helps people be present and really listen, which is something that is lacking, in my opinion, often. <laughs> but it's, it's definitely, well, I guess it depends on who you are. I, I was going to say it's definitely terrifying, but once you get over it, it it's really really fun. Mm -hmm. So we have a little bit more for you listeners, but we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. Okay. So a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair. I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something a little weird, something I don't want it to do, <laughs> then I, I can't stop thinking about it the rest of the day. Oh my God, we've all been there. Pantene's Rosewater Collection feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rosewater because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. Your hair doesn't look really great. Thank you. I actually worked in a place for a while that was very sensitive environmentally, and we weren't allowed to use shampoos that had sulfate in them. So that's something that I look for these days. And bonus, I love the way that my hair looks now. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. Here's the thing. Saving money with GEICO is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock. He constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So we've touched on a lot of problems that uh, female comedians face, a lot of obstacles. So we wanted to look at things that we can do to, to change that, to improve things. Uh, one thing that I, I ran into in a lot of places is making sure that female comedians are a part of our children's media diets. Because it does start pretty young. I'm The stereotype or kind of internalizing of women aren't funny which I do think we're moving away from, uh, but slowly. Um, I think it, it starts pretty young. And if all you're seeing are comedians of a certain type, then you might start to think then that's what funny looks like. 
Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, representation has a huge impact on our psyche, not just in terms of like seeing something once, but the amount of times you see your someone like yourself represented on screen is like going to have a huge impact on how important you feel to the world around you. I know that a lot of women had sort of like a revelatory experience watching Ghostbusters when it came out a couple years ago, because it was just not just seeing, you know, four women on screen, which is actually so unfortunately rare in the film industry, but mm-hmm. to see them be like these action heroes and fight ghosts, you know, like it sounds yeah. so dumb in theory, but then when you see it, you're like are almost burst into tears because you just don't get to see something like that. Oh, absolutely. I am I would describe myself as someone who does not cry often. <laughs> and <laughs> both times where people have told me like, oh, Annie, you're going you're gonna to tear up seeing this movie because it's mostly women and they're like well-written and powerful and funny. I was like, bah, I don't <laughs> cry. And both times I cried. Yeah. Like within the first three minutes. Like, oh my gosh. Well, and another funny thing about that movie is like, it's a really silly movie about ghosts, obviously. But mm-hmm. the the female friendship and the way those women hung out with each other and made fun of each other and stuff was actually like one of the most realistic portrayals of female friendship I've ever seen on screen. And so that was like very exciting for me because I think... You know, like, the quality of representation matters, too. There's plenty of women on TV, but they're playing stereotypes of women. And I, myself, and a lot of other women don't really see ourselves in those women. And it's sort of just like a, it's an underwhelming thing to watch. Yeah, and something I was researching, oh, it was for games and gaming. And um, the a point one of the articles brought up is, there is more representation of women, but it's not great representation. Yeah. And it was specifically looking at the example of um, action heroes and how there are fe- more female action heroes now, but they are not allowed to be funny in the same way that male action heroes are. And it gave off like the list of examples, and almost all of them are, all the female examples are super badass and no-nonsense, which is good, but if that's all you see, then you're still telling only one thing. And then for the male superheroes, or just heroes, they they were much more varied and much more allowed to be funny or quirky or something else on top of being an action hero. Like, there were more dimensions to them, more nuance. That's really interesting because I've always found that the only superheroes that I'm interested in are the ones that are pretty funny. And then there's a lot of other superheroes where the movies get pretty dark or whatever. And I just, I don't feel invested in it. And I know like seeing Wonder Woman, and I don't mean to like knock any of the women involved because I think it's so great that they're doing it, but I didn't really connect with that character. And I was also very frustrated that you know, like we're finally getting a female action figure and, uh, sorry, action star. And she spends maybe like 10 or 15 minutes with other women in the beginning of the film. And then the rest of the film, she has to hang out with a bunch of random guys. Like it just like, <laughs> yeah. I was just like, what? this is just a movie about a bunch of guys. There happens to be one girl there. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. The part of that movie that's my favorite is when the beginning. When yeah. Fighting. <laughs> And they're super strong. <laughs> um, 
Another piece of advice I saw was signing up young girls for comedy classes or even young boys, but with a female teacher to get to normalize that women are funny and that there are female comedians out there. And I would I would say probably for a lot of us, if you think of the class clown, the thing that comes to your mind is probably a young fellow. Mm-hmm. Um, it certainly is in my mind. And I remember reading an article doing getting ready for this episode um, where it was sort of similar to what you were talking about earlier. Um, the author as a young girl had been the class clown but kept getting in trouble for it in a way that uh, her male, the male students didn't. Yeah, I have definitely found that to be my experience. I mean, I was a pretty shy kid, so I wasn't putting myself out there that much. But when I did, on the rare occasions I, you know, tried to crack a joke, it was like, just not nearly as well received. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. (laughs) 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 Everyone just goes kind of quiet and looks around, looks (laughs) away. Yeah. I, I, when I was, I'm pretty shy, but I was, sometimes I would make a snarky, I would say funny comment, but most people just interpreted, interpreted it as, Oh, Annie is in a bad mood today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, my friends would laugh at me, you know what I mean? If it was like a Mm -hmm. few of us hanging out, but it's just when you sort of shout something out in a classroom, it's just not the same (laughs) as a woman. (laughs) Right. Our class clown was a dude and he definitely could get away with a lot of stuff. He, He once started a food fight, uh, like stuff that um, I'm sure if I had started a food fight, it would have been a different story. Well, that's the thing is like, even when teachers were mad at boys like that, they'd sort of be like laughing at the same time. Like, you know, it's like, ugh, Jimmy. And then when you're a girl, you just sort of get this like cold response, like where they're like, okay, let's move on, you know? Yeah, how irresponsible of you. (laughs) (sighs) Do you have any advice for young girls and women who are interested in comedy? Um, I think just do it as much as possible and try not to focus too hard on getting approval from the people in charge in your community or theater. It's um, not that you shouldn't try to do comedy in those spaces because you do want to be seen, but there are I've noticed there's a lot of ways around that of people putting up their own shows or creating their own web series or whatever. It's just, you just really have to get experience. So if the, if you're not getting a lot of green lights from the gatekeepers, you have to find your own way to get it out there. Absolutely. Uh, That is something that I have done through other creative things like acting or writing. And I will say, too, like, if it's something you love, well, there's a lot of things. Try not to burn out on it, uh, which happened to me. Um, and then be prepared for rejection and just move on. Um, <laughs> like, if it's if it's constructive criticism, absolutely take that in. But, I, I mean, it's competitive And there's so many other things at play that are out of your control. Uh, So if you take things personally, it's going to be a miserable time. Yeah. And I know that's hard because it is personal. 
Yeah, but, I mean, despite what I said about, you know, discrimination and everything, I will say that comedy just by its nature involves a lot of failure. So you do have to face a lot of rejection and become okay with that and understand that some things just aren't going to be there for you. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I always try to, you know, silver linings it and think, well, this is more material <laughs> that I can, once I've moved away from it, it's not so upsetting that I can incorporate into creative outlets. <laughs> <laughs> there is a U.S. nonprofit called Women in Comedy, and they are pushing for better representation of women and other marginalized folks in comedy. And they're based in Chicago. They have classes, events, resources for women looking to get into comedy, and they've put up chapters in the cities across the United States. So check them out if this is something that resonates with you. Um, and I would give it, give it a try. If it's something you maybe barely in the back of your head thought, <laughs> maybe I'll do it, I would give it a try. Yeah, I mean, even if you don't end up pursuing comedy, I think it's a really great life skill for so many areas of your life. Yes, I agree. What would you like to see change as someone who's worked in comedy? Are there any actionable things that that we could do? Um, yeah, I so... One thing I've noticed, like, you know, in the last few years, obviously, we've had more Kickstarters and things like that. I would say there's just a lot of little people struggling in the comedy scene. And if we want them to survive, they are going to need our help at some point because there's just so little money going into comedy at that level. And there's so much time and energy that you have to put into it to get anywhere. So if you know people pursuing it or you can find people in your city, you know, support their Kickstarters, their GoFundMes, whatever they're putting out there, even their Venmo. Like sometimes, you know, young struggling comedians in the community will like literally just say like, I can't make rent this month and whatever. They might publicly complain about it and sort of jokingly reference their Venmo account, but that's like a real need. So for those of us who can spare, you know, 10 or 20 bucks here and there, I think things like that make a big difference. Um, on a larger scale, I think just support uh, TV shows, uh, theater shows that feature uh, diverse groups of people, um, watch TV shows. I also, personally, my thing is kind of like divesting from white male stuff. So if there's a TV show that other people are watching that has a bunch of white dudes, I mean, first of all, I get kind of like turned off by watching it immediately because it just feels so stale in 2018. But uh, I won't, I'll just not watch it. Like just because a bunch of guys are recommending something to you does not necessarily mean it's that good or worthy of your time. And you don't have to have something to talk about with them. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like it's just be d discriminatory about what you're uh, supporting with your time, energy, and money. Sure, and I know it's um, a joke that I see at least a lot among my friend group because there is a lot of improv, especially improv among my friend group of, sorry to <laughs> spam you again, but I've got another show. And uh, it's sort of a running thing, like, oh, no, <laughs> don't <laughs> invite me to another improv show. But being there and being supporting... Um, is is very important and I almost always 
had a good time, even when I had my reservations. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Are there any female comedians that you're particularly into right now? Um, Here in New York, we have a lot of great comedians. Um, Io Debery, Patty Harrison, Catherine Cohen. Um, Out in L.A., there's a really great character, actress named Chloe Fineman. Um, You should check them all out on Instagram. They're all super funny and put out a lot of great videos. I love some recommendations, so thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you so much for joining us as well, Beth. Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Beth New, um, on Instagram at Beth Newell with no second E. It's a little bit confusing. Um, <laughs> you can uh, find my podcast, We Knows Parenting, wherever you get your podcasts. And We Knows Parenting is also on social media. So you can find us there. Yeah, go go check those out. And if you would like to send us an electronic letter... You can. Our email is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. You can also find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast and on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You. Thanks as always to our producer, Andrew Howard, and thanks to you for listening. So here's something that some of you might find shocking. 95% of women don't feel good about their hair. But Pantene is changing that. Pantene's Rosewater Collection combats bad hair days with an innovative formula that uses rosewater derived from the petals and buds of the Rosa Gallica plant. With Pantene's Rosewater Collection, I can really feel how much more hydrated my hair is. And it's sulfate, paraben dye, and mineral oil-free, which makes me feel good because who needs all those additives? Experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. The new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman are hilarious as America's favorite moms turned criminals. This show is the perfect blend of comedy, action, and romance. No wonder critics call Good Girls your next TV addiction. And Rotten Tomatoes rates it 100% fresh. Ooh, Good Girls, Sundays on NBC. The new season has already had some wild twists, so watch live. And stream anytime.